No, my my eyes my eyes are on a VW Buzz when they Ooh. the the uh, the electric van that's supposed to come out. Yeah, yeah. That that's what I would. And it's apropos for where you live. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Hope everything's going great. Things are the crazy normal. And the book is coming along great. I won't bore you with too many details, but the numbers are adding up day after day. So I'll know in a few weeks if I can make my deadline. Uh, the other day, uh, the creator of the United Forces comic and artist announced that I am writing the book, so there you go. That's the that's the secret comic coming out later this year. Actually, will probably be coming out. Issue one is done. I'm going to rescript issue one because it was done before I really got fully involved. And we're adding an issue zero, which is kind of a real cool thing. And uh, when I have something more to talk about that, I think I'll be pretty cool for people who are interested in the project. I was thinking about social media the other night. I was at a party and we were having this this talk. And then there's just been a bunch of people talking on Twitter. And everyone's trying to figure out what to do because the Service keeps changing and people are unhappy, which I totally get. I don't feel satisfied myself. It's not the bad stuff that people keep talking about. It's just the inconsistency of the service, which drives me a little crazy. Uh, I don't know. Companies have their fingers on the switch, which can just shut down a lot of hard work for a lot of people. I mean, listen, I published this podcast through Substack, you know, they could change their mind in a heartbeat and say, hey, we don't do this anymore. The further and further we get to all this, I just don't know how everybody ends up reaching out to one another because these platforms become less and less advantageous. It's really, it's not a political thing for me. It's not even a role of a big, you know, I don't want to pay $8 kind of thing. And I don't want to pay $8 a month, but I don't know what it is. Is it avarice? I mean, is it the the need for the people who have these companies to, you know, squeeze every dollar out? Because I just can't believe that there isn't any money being made. It's just, it's not enough money for the people who want to be more of a billionaire than they are. So I, I, I don't know. And that's me hypothesizing. So if you're a billionaire and you have a social media company and I've offended you, I really do apologize. Anyway, um, this week's guest is Carl Kiesel. And Carl is an amazing inker. One of the standouts from my, I guess, teen years on, though he doesn't seem as if he was working when when I was a teen because he's just so buoyant and 
eager about all his work. So maybe it's a testament to the medium. Yeah, Carl's just killer inker and is one of these guys who just said, hey, I have an idea, did an idea, and it paid off. And he really has made a name for himself as a writer, you know, in an industry that likes to keep people locked in little creative boxes and hop on over to impossiblejones.com and check out the campaign. It's so well-structured, such a good offering. I read issue three and it's phenomenal. It's just really good stuff. Great comics, great fun, great artwork. It's the whole package. I just love people carving out their own space and doing their thing. I had a great time talking with Carl. He really is an inspiration in so many ways. So I hope you go check out his campaign, enjoy the conversation, and um, yeah, this is me, Carl Kiesel. You were in Heroes this last year, right? Last year, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I kind of wimped out. I'm like, oh, I'll go, call, I'll go talk to him. And I'm like, no, 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 like that. And like, I just, I scampered off. I'm typically, I don't care and I'll talk to everybody. Right, and, right. But it was just one of those things. I just kept kind of like backing off. And I don't know why. Yeah, I do that. I, I have to say, I've got that same problem. I'll, I'll see someone like, oh, there's Dave Gibbons. He knows me. Oh, I, I won't bother him. I won't bother him. <laughs> right. You know, and I like right. Dave. Dave is a great guy. And every time I'm at a show I'll, and Dave's there, he always comes over and Carl, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. It's weird. I, I have the same sort of reaction sometimes. So I, I don't want to bother them. But yeah, there's just, there is just this kind of weird thing that happens and it's, and, and I don't, I don't know what the, the source of it is because, you know, most everyone in comics, they're all really kind of cool. That's they're really true. It's, open it's and a friendly. great little industry. We're all, I think for the most part, all of us are really good people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, it's you know and i don't think it's the same kind of like the i think the vibe might have been a little different maybe 30 40 years ago because it was a much smaller world yeah um you know even though that smaller world made really people very close it also kind of insulated people from the outside yeah in the, in a you know and now with this it's impossible to remain insulated yeah no that's true that's true and it's impossible to know everybody now i mean because, you know, there's people doing Kickstarter comics, you know, it's not just Marvel and DC and, you know, Gold Key or whoever, Archie, you know, it's, there's a million, I, I don't know half the people doing comics. I don't, don't know a quarter of the people doing comics anymore. It's, it's tough. And, you know, I mean, I like, I like to try to spread my intention and attention mm-hmm. to as wide a net as I possibly can. Like Rich Starkings, man. Oh yeah, that dude revolutionized the industry. I know, I know. And, and you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but I look back and I see how he did. He changed everything. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I mean, because I mean, you can't like say like Laverne Kandersky or Steve Olaf were the guys who did digital coloring because they didn't. You know, like no one person really did that. Mm-hmm. We had a sort of a confluence of accessibility and technology kind of coming together, but that whole digital lettering thing just changed it all. Mm-hmm. 
I know. Yeah, it's amazing. He, he was ahead of his time. He, he could see. He could see where everything was going. Yeah. I'm of the age where um, I actually remember when DC got their first computers in the offices and how everyone was like, ooh, I'm, I'm not sure about this, this computer thing, you know? <clears throat> sure. When, now, when was that? When do you remember that happening? That was in the mid-80s, late 80s, maybe 86, okay. 87 at the very latest. 80, I must right. have more like 86, yeah. But I remember them coming in. Yeah, no, that's funny because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, yep, there has to be, like, I mean, I remember work previous to the sort of the, you know, the email world of, of work. Mm -hmm. There mm -hmm. wasn't, you know, that that didn't really hit until that sort of mid nineties yeah. when the, yeah. when the first emails for work kind of came through, but, but yeah, I mean, I remember seeing like the editors back in, you know, in the late eighties, I guess at Marvel in early nineties with, uh, you know, computers on the desk. I wonder, I, I now I'm thinking like, what were they doing with them? <laughs> they were, you know, yeah. But that's why, they, that's why it was, everyone was so resistant. They were like going, what do we do with those things? I mean, there's no graphic capabilities at all back then, you know? No, no, and word, no. Word processing was really just starting, really just starting. So yeah, yeah. I worked for a major. I worked for a major um, corporation for a bunch of years, and they were so large international that they were they had a relationship with Adobe. So Adobe would come into the offices every year or so and give us the uh, the Adobe pitch, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I wonder, I wonder if when that ever happened with Marvel or DC, when they sort of realized, hey, we probably should be talking to these guys. Oh no, that's a good. I don't know. I just know that they should. Yeah. The, the, and I don't even remember now if they were. I think they were Max. In fact, I'm almost positive that DC had Max. Yeah. 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 What was your first computer? connection really with work like when did you say like on a work level like you use the computer for your making of whatever you did the computer because hmm. i know on superman i faxed a lot of things i would fax okay you know i would sure i would print out scripts and then i would fax them into carlin mm -hmm. <clears throat> but that was not on the computer it might it, it might have been Towards the late '90s, when I was actually, I'm no before that, I must have been sending in scripts through the computer. I can't remember exactly. I can't remember somewhere in the mid '90s. I would have probably been starting okay. to send scripts through, um, and then in the late '90s, then I would start scanning and and you know getting pencils that I would print out in blue line. You know that I, I've I've inked on very few original pencils since 2000 at this point. Oh wow! Okay, wow that that that's a while. Yeah. Okay. I, for me, like I, I wrote, I think I wrote my first few scripts back like in 91. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 91. I wrote them on a, uh, on the, uh, the home computer mm -hmm. because I had just graduated from college. So I was back there plunking away on the, you know, on my father's computer to try to, you know, just to generate scripts. And, uh, but then you'd go, then you'd print them out and then take the train into the city and then go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, yeah. And, and then, and then show them off versus email them as you would now. Yeah. I, I still remember the, the, the first chat rooms, you know, like CompuServe chat mm -hmm. rooms 
And one, yeah. and one time, you know, I was just trying to figure out what they were. And I was there and like Mark Wade was going, Kiesel, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, that's, that's the whole thing. There's all these, uh, I guess the writers really do, did flock to the chat rooms pretty yeah. soon. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, uh, hard to show off your art in those days. Almost impossible to show off your art. No, I know. I, I mean, I talk with so many young creators who they, you know, their world is they they have this very externally focused, you know, visual uh, career online, and it's so alien to kind of conceive of that because it it, it really felt like when you weren't working as an artist, you you kind of just sat there like a, an automaton waiting for the next you know, person put a quarter into the slot. It was just a, it was a very strange kind of a existence. And now you can just generate and just put it up online and start. I know. Reaping the, yeah, I love it. Yeah. There, there are so many artists that I know simply because I, I saw their stuff online and I said, this person is really great, you know? Totally. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. It, I, I, I put a tweet up today. It was really, I, I was just feeling so agitated because people keep posting all these amazing, you know, Hey, this book, that book, this movie, that movie, this TV. And I just was kind of losing my mind that there's just too much stuff. Oh, there is. And I was just losing, and I was just losing it. But like, you, I you see so many amazing artists and, and storytellers yeah. that, wow, it's a, it's a golden, it's a golden period for that. Yeah. I'm just, really happy. I have to say just before I got on with you, I got an email, uh, uh, announcing that, uh, there's a book that was kickstarted a few years ago. A few years ago, called Palomino. Did you ever hear of that book? No, I don't think so. It, it's written and drawn by a guy named Stephen Frank. It is an amazing okay. book. Amazing. Palomino is amazing, and he just announced that he's re releasing issues two and three of Palomino. And I signed up on the pre-launch page. It's it's a modern Western noir. And he owes a lot to, okay. to Frank Miller. He owes a lot to Frank Miller, but you know, he knows how to do it. And it's, I, I will say, f there's a lot of good comics on Kickstarter that I like a lot. This one is is at the very top. Palomino is, wow. it, the first time I read it, I was just blown away. It wasn't like, wow, I really like this. I was like going, this is amazing. So. Yeah, I mean, and it, it feels, it feels like that frequency is like like once every maybe three months, like you see something that you really can't classify as amazing. Mm -hmm. When it was like this hunt and peck kind of world, you know, pre digital, where you would, you know, like 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 the the Japanese bookstores in New York City, you could go in there and you could go look through all the manga, yeah. because that was the only place to find it, yeah. and you would just stumble onto these things which were just mind-blowing yeah i did that yeah in new york city too yeah um, amazing stuff that you would find there. and and not just you know quite honestly for me for a while i was getting this japanese fashion magazine that the layouts were just gonzo i'd never ever seen anything like it right have you always been um kind of a print media person like i mean you, you're mentioning layout which is not sort of like the first thing someone would just naturally kind of flip out in a, in a conversation. Did you, did you, I mean, were you, were you into graphic design as well? I, uh, yeah, I think I've always had a leaning towards that, that direction, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And, and I have to admit doing my own books, I really enjoy the graphic design side, the, the, the figuring out how the pieces fit together to look the most appealing. Even in the Kickstarter I'm doing now, the, 
you know, the, the promo art pieces I put up on Twitter or Facebook or something, I'm, I'm very concerned with how they look. I want them to look appealing, you know, uh, I want to, you know, so yeah, I've always been very attracted to graphic design. Um, I don't necessarily work at a level that uh, certain, you know, professional designers do, but I, I can keep myself happy. So. Yeah, no, I mean, I, it, your promo pieces actually really are quite good. I, w- I was looking at the, you know, at the whole Kickstarter run and they're really solid. Like they're super good. They're engaging and they have all the right info. It like, it was like, I think you and I had an exchange last week with Kelly Yates mm-hmm. and you, you sort of like, and you added on to him, you're like context, like give them a date yeah. and a time because like, it's like that whole 24 hours thing is really arbitrary because Twitter is sort of like, hey, by the way, here's a tweet you missed two days I ago. I know. It does. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. Yeah. So. Yeah. Now, those are those are the the uh, hard-learned lessons. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. Well, no, no, totally. And what's really, you know, what's really interesting is that the, that whole Kickstarter culture is really a cross-pollinated culture. There's a lot of giving and taking. People yes. are like, yes. hey, do this. Hey, try that. Hey, do this. This worked. That didn't work. Mm-hmm. And and you 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 know that's the absolute antithesis to what you know the sort of the industry has been for decades and decades. There hasn't been this sort of like, hey, check it out, uh, DC editor. This really worked for us here over at Marvel. Like nobody, yeah. that never happened. No, you know, no, maybe I know what you mean. Or... I know what you mean, and and I agree. I I, I you know I, I use a, a slightly different analogy. I go, you know, you know, you know, if, if I was working at DC and I heard that one of my friends was you know writing Batman, I would go, hey, good for you. And but you know, there's part of you going, I really would like to write Batman, you know, but. <laughs> I have no desire to work on Ron Randall's Trekker. That's his book. And I'm really glad it's right. successful and I want it to be successful. But, um, but, but so that, that level of competition is stripped away, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a really, really great way of looking at it because we're, you know, we're not like, we're not fighting, you know, your, your, your brothers and sisters for the toys in the toy box. Right. Exactly. You're, you know, you're sitting down with glue, scissors, and tape, and making your own toys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. That's really that's a that's a really nice way of looking at it. And that, and I think that cross pollination is going to yield a. I mean, the, if you look at the timeline, the evolution has been so quick. Oh, tell me, yeah, the, yeah. You know, because there was that there was that you know I don't know how long it lasted, but there was that chunk of people putting up books without books being completed. So then you have this whole mm-hmm. lack of accountability on delivery. That was a big problem plaguing, you know, for, I don't know how long, but then poof, that went away because what became de rigueur is you need to have this thing ready to go. Like it has to be available soon or people will cease supporting yeah. your efforts. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and my, you yeah. know, unfortunately impossible Jones is not done yet, but we are working on it. And I, do have the date it will be done and david bless his heart he's very reliable as penciler he, he yeah. says three pages a week and you know i can set my clock to that so that's great so i know i can almost tell you to the day where it'll be done and in the printer's hands and uh i'm, I'm hoping at the point at some point uh to, to get enough ahead of the curve meaning financially that i could actually pay for a book mm-hmm. before i kick started i am not there yet but Right. Hopefully I will be. 
It's like any small it's business, tough. you know, you, you're growing, uh-huh. you're growing your business. There, there is, there is nothing harder than scaling a business. It is really, truly like the hardest aspect of a business. You can have, you don't even have to have the best idea to have a successful business, no, but true. if you can scale a business, well, you're going to do, you're going to do so much better than the poor knucklehead with that good idea and no ability to actually implement it. Mm-hmm. No. What I'm going to hop in a little quick um, writing question regarding the book. If so, David's putting three pages out a week. You know, I, I love doing that final writing pass. Yeah. Like yeah. I love getting the book and getting my crack at my, the acting, you know, yeah. like, okay, let's see, let's see how I can react to what the the artist has done and give a little bit back. And do you wait for the whole thing to come in to do the, do that? Or do you, are you able to do it in sort of smaller chunks? Um, I, I have to admit, I usually do it in a, in a big chunk, you know, probably the, the, the way we've structured the impossible Jones stuff, you know, because of my training is, is kind of in 24 page chunks. Uh, so mm-hmm. it's like the, the equivalent of an old old time issue of a comic, um, and sometimes right. we do twenty eight page chapters and stuff, but uh, but usually about twenty four, and uh, usually I wait till I get those twenty four, and then I sit down and do that final pass. You know, I give D- David a plot which is broken down panel by panel, so you know I just write a paragraph. You know, Impossible Jones does this, Impossible Jones does this, someone screams on the street. You know that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. maybe with suggested dialogue, you know, possible jo- Sometimes it'll even be, she makes a joke here, you know, that much. I, I just have a feeling okay. that for the pacing, I want a, a break from the tension at this point. Um, oh, that's so interesting. So, uh, but, and then when I get the artwork, I look at it and I go, oh, he has her with a cup of coffee in her hand so I can make her make a remark about her coffee, you know, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you play off what you're given. That's so cool because it's it feels you know this hybridized kind of approach. It's not old school Marvel plot, you know, to penciler, and it's not so much that full script that DC really has has uh, you know perfected. So I like that. I, I think that's kind of cool. It is a little more, it's a little more improv- improvisational, I guess. You know, for the artist, they get a little more latitude to kind of go. Right. Go to town. And, and even if I break it down into a four or five panel page, if David feels that five panels works better, six or seven or eight, he uh, he does that, you know, um, and David's instincts mm-hmm. uh, you know, are very good. I mean, I I can't think of a time I've had a, tr- a trouble where I go, oh, no, he missed the point totally, you know, which mm-hmm. I have worked with yeah. artists who have missed the point totally. Yeah. How, how do you react to that? Because my, my initial re- reaction is I, I screwed up. So... <laughs> Well, um, I can't say I felt that way that, that time, um, that, that was a very bad, I can't, I'm not going to go into detail. It was, it was not a good experience, not just because of the artist, believe me, the artist is a great guy, has had great success. Uh, we were not a good fit and there were other things going on at the time that was hog tying both of us tremendously. Mm. It was awful. Yeah. It was awful. It is. I mean, it's tough, man. Like there is, there are so many things happening behind the scenes you know, month after month for the books that we just take for granted that show up on the shelves in comic book shops that, you know, you, you just, you go, man, if everybody, if only everyone knew what happened. <laughs> you, you don't want to see how the <laughs> sausage is made. Not everyone, at least. No, 
no, no, no. But it's just, but because it's it, it just, there's, because it, it, listen, so much of it sort of, you know, induces heart, you know, heartache and heartbreak. Yeah. And uh, it is, it is, it is, a, it is a rough, I mean, listen, it's, a, it's not an easy business in any, any respect. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. So, yeah. So why'd you get into it? Well, you got to get into it because you love it. That's why I got into it. Yeah. I love it. There's, you know, there's no other reason to be in it. I mean, there, you know, I've had some good paychecks and paydays, but uh, generally speaking for most of my career, I've made enough to pay my bills. And, uh, but you know, I enjoy sitting down to work every single day, every single day I look forward to it. And uh, I really don't think you can ask for a lot more than that. How, so how do you structure your day? I mean, you're, you're still inking and you're writing, which you're in, sort of this interesting, you know, rarefied company of, you know, writer and inker. There's not a whole, there's not a whole lot of you, you know, you guys could fill like a, you know, like a, a large, a large SUV. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So, well, I, I don't know. Uh, it, I, I've always been intimidated by penciling is what it comes down to. I mean, that black blank page just stymies me. Um, mm-hmm. So, so anyway, so I, and, and I'm very slow at it. I'm, I'm slow at everything I do, but I'm really slow at penciling. So there's no way I can okay. pay my bills and be a penciler. There's just no way. Um, but uh, but I can pay my bills by inking, and I can pay my pay my bills by writing. So that's what I do. So and I usually do them in big chunks. Like I said, I'll write for a month, and then David will be way ahead of me, and then I'll ink for a month to catch up with him and stuff like that. Okay. Well, how did, like when you like what was your what was your self like what was your image? of getting into the business like what did you see it looking like for well i'm uh, I, i'm not sure uh what you mean by that when you first got i mean when you first like you know gave yourself permission to say i'm gonna go get into the comic business i'm gonna try what was your what was your image were you saying hey i want to be a writer i want to be what was what was it that you wanted I, to do I, I certainly always wanted to write i mean from the very beginning um, even just six months in, uh, you know, my first regular gig was inking Tales of the Legion of Superheroes over a, be- a beautiful, wonderful penciler named Terry Shoemaker. And after six months, Terry didn't want to do Legion anymore. And um, he he loved, uh, I haven't talked to Terry in many years at this point, although I did run into him in San Diego one year. But, um, but when Terry, uh, we, we were talking at the time and Terry loved cars. Terry loved cars tremendously. And so when I heard he wanted to leave Legion, I thought, I- I'm going to come up with a car idea for this guy to draw and I'll write it and ink it and he'll draw it. And, uh, and, and I did submit an idea for kind of a guy with a super car, he, a guy, uh, he finds a UFO and puts parts of the UFO in his car and his car can do things. Uh, it never went anywhere, but, um, but from, mm-hmm. that was six months into my career. I was doing that. So, uh, okay. so from the beginning, I, I saw myself as more, or hoped I could be more than just an inker in the industry, you know? So, um, and you know, when I was working on suicide squad, I would send John Ostrander long letters. He was so patient about ideas. And, you know, I was thrilled with what John was doing. John was doing the most exciting comic in comics. As far as I was concerned, I love suicide squad. Um, but I would say, Oh, and what about this? We could do this. And, and he would like, you know, pat me on the head and say, uh, well, well, this idea here, I think we can use this. He was very kind. He was very kind. Okay. You know, and uh, even when I was inking John Byrne, I would say, John, hey, what if, 
Turpin was Brooklyn from the Boy Commandos all grown up. And, you know, so, and, and John called me Carl the Kibitzer Kiesel. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, you know. I love that. So, but from the beginning, obviously, you know, my, my mind wouldn't stop moving. Let me put it that way. That's super interesting. I, I, I've been talking recently how I, I was so focused on my, uh, on one aspect of the business that like, you know, it was all about becoming a penciler versus mm-hmm. any of the other aspects. And I did all the other aspects as a means to an end versus in, you know, sort of a, a goal. So if I had to like, it was just one of those kind of weird kind of mindsets. Um, but I like, I, I think your, yours is probably a far more healthy approach to it. If you know, that <laughs> really kind of the enthusiastic, Hey, what if kind of approach? Yeah. yeah that, I think that's nice. And, and you know, I have to admit inking a lot of, you know, like, uh, inking, uh, George Perez on history of the DC universe. I was inking all these characters and I was like, going, whatever happened to Hawk and Dove? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be cool if Dove was a girl? You know I mean? That's because you know, mm. you're sitting there, you know, just, looking at this board for, you know, and, and George Perez is not a fast ink, let me tell you. No. No. Um, so you've been looking at these that. pages for a long time and they're beautiful when you get done, but it gives you a lot of time to uh, to think about what's in front of your face. Huh. That's, you know, that makes complete sense. I mean, you're, you are kind of, you know where you're going to be for a, a good chunk of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so is that, is that kind of where that, that germination for the talking about Hawk and Dove came out for you? Oh, definitely. It came out of inking the, the, the uh, crisis double page spread where you had a line of the dead heroes and I was doing Dove. Mm -hmm. I always liked Hawk and Dove as a kid. I always liked the idea that they said their names and if danger was around, they could change. That was really cool. And and I've always, I've always quite honestly liked characters with lower level powers like that because I like characters Mm -hmm. who struggle. But yeah, I mean, it was inking that figure where I thought, Dove, Dove, light blue costume, that would look so much better on a girl, you know? Yeah, yeah. I re- I remember when that that lo- that relaunch happened. Like that was a big that was a big deal. It was pretty. It was an exciting period. There was a big chunk. Of, there were a big chunk of DC books in the, you know, in the plus minus of two years, which really kind of made a big hit, you know splash. But new things. Mm-hmm. It's kind of exciting. Um, and that was definitely right there. And you had a, and who knew you had a superstar in the making? Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That Rob Liefeld, whatever happened to him. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Rob's done very well. Very well. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it was, it was a perfect time. It was a perfect time. Um, how did you, how did you go about that? And had you been pitching at that point in the offices? Had I pitched anything else in the office up to that point? I... I don't think so. It's, it's a little foggy, but I mean, at that point, I was um, I was living with uh, the the lady who became became my first wife, Barbara Randall, mm-hmm. who became Barbara Randall Kiesel. She was obviously an editor at DC. She had done writing, and I mean, really, it was that case where you know she came home from the office one day, and I said, "Yeah, I'm inking this page," and I was thinking, "Dove girl, what do you think?" And she said, "We should pitch that." You know, I mean, I'm pretty sure she is uh. the one who said pitch it. Um, okay. You know, and, and, uh, you know, I, I remember, you know, we're driving to movie theaters to, to see a movie and, and she would say, blah, 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 this, this about, you know, there was a lot of give and take. It was very exciting time. Very Mm -hmm. exciting. So, but I'm pretty sure she's the one who said we should pitch this. 
there there is there's a real fantastic quality of having that socratic story development like when you can sit with somebody and just kind of jam out like yeah. these kind of these moves that happen you know within this sort of ambiguous structure of a story mm-hmm. i love that but okay so i mean but that's a i mean that's a big thing i mean that's a, a book a book relaunch pitch is not a small thing that's not something that you can just naturally just get a you know okay cool let's do it well you know, I, you think, I, you know I think happened. the industry was different back then you know i mean uh, you know, I know uh, Dan Jurgens has said, you know, uh, he was at a convention in Dallas, Houston, and he had set up a meeting with uh, Dick, Dick Giordano, and that's where he pitched Booster Gold. And Dan didn't even have anything written down. He went in, sat down with Dick, told him what the idea was. Dick said, well, what about? And Dan said, this is the answer. This is the answer. And Dick said, yeah, we got ourselves a deal here. Write something up so I can approve it. But this will this will happen. I mean, it was a different time back then. Yeah. No. Wow. That's, that's really impressive. No, and you're right. I mean, listen, I, many of the things that I did, I probably should never have done, you know, like in the, in the sense that like, who, who was I to do the things that I had done, but you just have enough, you know, moxie and chutzpah and you just get out there and just. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, this, you know any, I, you know, I've always said any artist, it, you know, it's that weird dichotomy. You have to believe you're good enough to do this. And mm-hmm. on some level, you, you always want to be better. So you always think you're not good enough. At least me. Let me put it that way. That's how I yeah. feel. I feel on one hand, I feel I'm good enough to do this, damn it. On the other hand, I think I'm still not good enough, am I? No, I'm not. You know, it, it's it's that constant yeah. push and pull. Constant. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> um, what was the... So, like, for inking with you, because, I mean, you really are... You know, I, you're a great anchor. Your line is, I mean, it was noticeable for me, I would say mid eighties, mm-hmm. like I could pick out your, your line. Interesting. And it, yeah. And it only got really kind of clearer moving forward. Mm-hmm. You know, when I would keep seeing, because your name easy to see on a, on a cover, you know, easy to see in a credit. Um, it's easy to read, but your line was just so absolutely definitive. What do you, I mean, like for you, what do you think attribute is the, the attribution to that? I, I, that I, I can't even begin to guess. I mean, you know, I personally, I've always found my own line work a little too clean for my taste and my work you know, obviously, at the, at the kind of the other end of the scale would be a, a Bill Sienkiewicz or a uh, Klaus Janssen, who's got a very, you know, free style. Mine is very precise, very, very, very precise, and sometimes too precise. It drives me crazy. And part of that, quite honestly, is because my biggest uh, idol in, in comics is Kniff. And I just love how Kniff can just slap hmm. down ink, and it looks amazing. It's It's got a vitality to it and a life to it. Um, and I love that he can combine, you know, a realistic look and, and a cartoony look. He, he opens up to this huge spectrum of the sort of character that can can appear in his work. Um, and that mm-hmm. all, and of course, his writing too, uh, especially in the you know, 30s, 40s, and 50s, it was just so snappy and so engaging. And um, but, anyways, his line work is is always what I would like look at and study. Um, and and I think in the end, I kind of ended up uh, probably 
because we both studied Kniff, I ended up more like, say, a Sinnet, a Joe Sinnet, a, a very clean style, mm-hmm. um, very brushy, but, um, but, but not quite as spontaneous as Kniff is. Nowhere near as spontaneous as Kniff. Um, so, uh, but I mean, you know, I, I, my style is my style and, uh, I'm not saying it's a bad style. I'm just saying, like, like I said, I, I've never been a whole hundred percent satisfied with it. It's never quite been what I was going for, you know? Huh. So, but I think that, that's it. That's, that's interesting. Funny. I mean, do you, like, if you could describe what it is, cause I mean, I, I, I do understand what you're saying and I'm, I'm, I can feel it in myself when it comes down to aspects of my artwork uh-huh. like i have this sort of internal vision of okay i want it to be like this but then i sit down to, to do it and it becomes this you know sort of a detail of palooza where i uh-huh. just put way too much stuff into it when i really didn't want to do that i really wanted to have it be a little bit more impressionistic yeah but yeah. somehow i didn't i didn't i didn't fall on that side of the fence yeah yeah, well, I, all I can say is I remember one time, I, I don't ex- remember the exact time, but I remember this moment in my head. I was looking at Kniff's work and I suddenly said, oh my God, I can see his brush strokes. I mean, up till then, you know, I was very carefully, <clears throat> you know, outlining a figure and stuff and really working hard to hide my brush strokes. And I was looking at mm-hmm. Kniff's works and I realized you can see exactly how his brush went blip, 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 and, and even the curve around the nose or whatever it is. And the idea that yeah. you... You didn't have to hide your work like that. That was a, that was an epiphany for me. You know, that was, that would hmm. really changed. I'm not sure it changed much to the average reader, but it certainly changed the way I approached my work. You know? Yeah. Well, there, there's that interesting, like thing about the, the sort of the forensic study of work that inspires us where we can go beyond that sort of first level of yeah. joy that it offers and get into it. And, you know, that's why, you know, that's why, you know, the artist editions have been so oh. engaging. <laughs> yeah, for, that, for that was like creators. the Scott Dumbier has ever done with his whole life. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he has children, then that, you know, th- those, those are the best things he's done. No, but, that is true. Um, You're very right. But, yeah, uh, but, but I mean, professionally, the, professionally, he justified his whole career by, by putting those out. Yeah. It's a masterstroke. I mean, mean, every single one that I have held and gone through, and I I mean, you want to own them all because there's something in every single one of those books which will offer some revelation to the eye. Yeah, I mean, the the Wallywood EC book is like a masterclass in inking and technique. You know, he would just... The, the amount of different techniques he would use and use well is, is uh-huh. stunning. It's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, they really are just they're They are treasures in their own right. Did you, were you, no, so like inking was this terrifying experience for me. Oh, okay. What was it for you? I mean, how did you, how did you, your journey to the dreaded unerasable inking line come into your life? I mean, since I wanted to do comics, I knew I was going to have to work in ink, right? And um, you know, it's you know, it's hard to say exactly how all those pieces came together. I mean, I had some great teachers when I went to the Kubert School. I went there for one year, and you know, so people who knew how to ink, you know, like say Joe Kubert was was there, mm-hmm. and um, and even quite honestly, watching some of the other uh, classmates, John Toddleben 
I, I, I've told this story a million times. I, he was sitting at his desk and he had 11 by 17 <clears throat> sheet of paper, took a pencil, and he just made this big S shape, just real quick. And he put his pencil down and he picked up a brush and he did this sea serpent that was astounding. And, and his only guideline was that S that he had put down. And huh. it was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I will have to admit, that was one of the moments where I thought, I, I might not have what it takes to do this job. <laughs> because right. I was working at a level so, so far above what I was capable of. But, um, wow. you know. Well, I mean, aside from looking at that at the Kniff, that you know that one sort of kniff moment for you. Were there other artists that you looked at and had those aha breakthroughs? Like, I you know I'm sure it's it's just hard yeah. for me to remember. You know, you know, you know, as time went by, I could like uh, look at Kirby's stuff and see how he had uh, abstracted the anatomy. Oh, now I understand why you put that shading there. That actually makes sense now. You know, when I was a kid, it was mm-hmm. just this squiggly line. But now I understand yeah. why it's there. You know, that, that happened over time. Um, but I can't remember other than that, that kniff. I'm sure there were other times. But that kniff moment was, a, was you know, a real light bulb moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, I mean, you say that you, you I guess, you know, felt yourself to be too clean or, you know, or precise in a sense. But like, I mean, you worked on top of, you know, John Byrne, in the mid eighties. Yeah. So, I mean, John is very of the naturalist world, the, the, you know, the Adams world sure, of sure. that anatomy and rendering. So, I mean, that's, a, that's a, I mean, did you have this, did you have to fight this sort of, you know, intention to kind of simplify everything or, no. did, you know, or did you just go like, well, the hell with it. I'm just going to, you know, have fun with all these, these lines. Yeah, I did the, the, the latter. I mean, quite honestly, whenever I get pencils, I, I look at them and I think, what is the pencil trying to do here? Cause what, what I see in the pencils that I like is what I want to try to keep in the inks. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I, and I have to admit sometimes, sometimes that means not, necessarily inking exactly what's on the page but inking what the penciler wanted on the page now a lot of times if you make a guess like that you can guess wrong you know what i mean but um Mm -hmm. but but sometimes if you work with someone enough you can start to understand their thinking i know what he's thinking when he's drawing this and you know i think maybe the shadow isn't quite where he would have wanted it sort of thing i mean sometimes that doesn't work but sometimes it does i mean i really do try to get into the head of the penciler i'm working with and try to figure out what are they trying to say here and how can I say that in ink, you know? And I know when yeah. I saw John Byrne's pencils and, uh, you know, earlier, you know, when he was on X-Men and stuff, his stuff was a, a little more what you could almost say manga-esque. It was, it, it, it's, it was much simpler. And as he, you know, progressed, and especially by the time he was on Superman, yeah, he was drawing in mu- a much more Neil Adams-y way. He was, there was a lot of rendering on the muscles and stuff. Um, but there's a great uh, speed, you know, he works so fast and there's this, yeah. this great energy to all of his line work. And that's what I really tried to capture was that energy of his line work. And um, it took, I mean, there were pages, I would spend 12, 14 hours inking one of his pages, um, which he probably wow. penciled in four hours tops, you know, <laughs> penciling three, right. three pages a day, every day. I, I used to, I, my, one of my jokes back in the nineties, I, I envisioned that he had a giant um 
glass table with a microfiche underneath, but with a projector. And he would just be able to wheel up to sort of compositions and figures that he had already drawn and just then light box them through and carry on. Like, cause I'm, cause he was just so fast and it was so consistent. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it was unbelievable. Yeah. Got some, the guy's amazing. I, 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 my, my joke was, I, I have like, if he slowed down and just did one page a day, he would revolutionize, you know, the industry once again. Like he could just kind of blow everyone's mind. I don't know. I, so I, I think I think John John's I, I think John's art is exact. I I think it's what he wanted it to be. You know, I'm sure he always yeah. wanted it to be better. We all do. Like like we we said a few sure. times. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think if John slowed down, it would change a lot of the look of the page. I don't think. So I just think think how much more stuff he could put in it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know if I don't know if that's better, you know. I mean, sometimes, know. you know, as, as you well know, sometimes the best solutions are the ones when you're backed into a corner and you don't have time to draw that cityscape. Well, what are you going to do instead? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes those are the best solutions. Yeah, it's like looking at those when you can see some, you know, Maniola work, and you'll see that he drew a lot more than you see. He just inked right over yeah. it. You know, he realized, yeah, we don't need this. We don't need this. He edited it down to what is necessary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, which is really a great lesson for everybody. Like we really all should be that, you know, prescient to the work that we're you know, doing to be able to not overdo it uh, in yeah. effort. It, it would be nice. That would be a nice world to live in. Yeah. I, I know, I know when, when I sit down to do my own penciling, I always try to keep it simple and, and I always, uh, you know, but, but I could just, you know, a little subtle line work here to give a indication of a shadow and, you know, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, I, yeah, we all overdo ourselves. Yeah. We all, all do. It's the truth. I think writing is my, my greatest joy. So I, I have so many questions about that process mm-hmm. for people like for you. I mean, you have this sort of this notable event happen with with hawk and dove as far as the industry goes people everyone knew that happened what was like like for you where you're like okay cool like i've i've thrown an anchor out mm-hmm. and it hooked right now i'm going to go make some make some waves with this like what was your like what was your sort of ramping up mentality with that well i mean i was just trying to uh you know get opportunities to, to show what I could do. I mean, um, like I said, when I, when, when I worked on Hawk and Dove, I was co-writing it with Barbara and uh, mm-hmm. there was nothing wrong with that. But um, since I was known as an inker, I was not being given uh, much credit as a writer. And mm-hmm. I had to work very hard to try to convince people I could uh, write stuff on my own. And I believe the first time I had that chance was when Mark Wade asked me to do a Newsboy Legion story for uh, Secret Origins, which he was editing. Hmm. And uh, actually, that was a, a case where I, I wrote it and penciled it and inked it. And uh, one of the very few times I did that. And uh, that did open a crack. And when Jerry Ordway was falling, um, not falling behind, but when he really could not keep up with a monthly deadline on Adventures of Superman, they decided to try me doing little five or six page backups in each issue of Adventures of Superman, featuring the newsboy. Okay. 
And that gave Jerry enough time to do his, whatever it was, 16-page lead. And what they found out was people really want to read Jerry Ordway, and I don't blame them, you know. Um, so, so you know, the backup features made life easier for Jerry, but it, it really was not going over well with the readership. Um, but mm. my dealings on that did put me on Carlin's radar. And then when Jerry decided, you know, to step down from Superman, when they killed him, might as well, good time to step down. Um, Carlin gave me a call to step in, you know, and um, that wouldn't have happened without those Newsboy Legion backups. And, uh, you know, that was that was a huge um, shot, you know, he, that was a real big shot in the dark for him to, to throw me mm -hmm. into the deep end like that. So, but, um, but you know, by that point, um, he certainly knew I had ideas that I kept throwing around. Um, so, it worked out really well. I mean, I I really owe my career, my writing career in particular, to to Mike Carlin. Yeah, well, Mike, Mike, great guy. Um, I always had great you know interactions with him, in and out of the offices. So yeah. he was a just a, just a champ. I, I absolutely love him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> how did you? A lot of comic books has a lot to do with the history of comic books. Mm -hmm. So the character's history becomes the generator for the future. Mm -hmm. So like often as writers will go back and we'll go, okay, let me, let me look for that, that thread that wasn't, you know, tied in to something. So did you do that kind of work or did you just start taking ideas that you'd already had kind of floating around in your head and put them into, into action? Well, I mean, with, with Superman, of course, it was a, a really different animal because it was, uh, you know, you'd go in once every six or nine months or once a year for a Superman summit and everyone would sit down and you'd have, we'd all put different ideas on the table, but then some of those ideas would be big ideas that we would all contribute to. And mm -hmm. um, if you had an idea that you kind of wanted to do on your own, your own idea, it really, by necessity, had to be a one-issue story. So, so, you know, you really had these sprawling epics or there's these very tiny moments and those were what you had on the superman books and uh you know you you know and and i will say many times many times i saw an idea put on the table that was made better by someone else so that was great and many times i saw i don't even say the same amount of times i think most times things were made better but there were times a very personal idea was put on the table and that was left on the table because there was no, sometimes okay. no space for that. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah. you know, so that was just, that came with the territory, you know, that came with the territory. Um, but it was a, uh, a fun group. Uh, I really enjoyed working with everyone on the Superman books, uh, all the writers, all the artists, all, uh, Carlin, all the associate editors. It was a really great group of people, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of times getting back to your question, uh, um, you know, a lot of times that I, I can't say I was looking, uh, there, there would be times I would look, look at the past and want to do my Bizarro story. I always wanted to do a Mixius Pitalik story and I never got a chance to, never. Not on the Superman books at least. Um, but, uh, but like, you know, I really wanted to do a Challenges of the Unknown story. And so, yeah, one of my small one-issue stories features them. And, and Superman really kind of makes a cameo in that issue, I have to say. So, okay. so but, um, you know, I mean, it was, that was you know, I, I, for better or worse, I, I, I can't say I always, yeah, you know, 
I, I, I think I go by instinct mostly when I work. What 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 excites mm-hmm. the fanboy in me? What twelve sure. what, what does twelve year old Carl want to see in this comic? And and uh, you know, I mean I've learned uh, I, I I've learned let's see how many I I've I've I sometimes I have been too much a slave to that. Let me put it that way. Where I I, I know Mark Wade has taught me Mark Wade, Mark Wade has taught me how to take what you love and make it new. Because for many, many okay. years, I was just trying to recreate what I loved. And that, okay. yeah, that, makes that sense. can be a very, uh, uh, that can be very fun, but it really, in the end, is just like treading water. You, you know, you're not really going anywhere. So, um, and, and, you know, Mark, he knows what he's doing. And, and Mark is the one who really taught me to take what you love and make it new. So that, that's really kind of my guiding line right there. I like that. No, that's, that's good. I mean, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of this, that 12 year old scenario. Like we, we can easily tap into those elements that when we were 12, which just wowed us and they still wow us. Like we can't sort of shake that in us. And I think it's just gets sort of poured into the foundation and, you know, the, the foundation hardens somewhere around that age and okay, those are in us. And let's just keep on going and we can build on this. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, they say everyone's golden age is when they were 12. You know, that's when your golden age of comics was. Yeah, for sure. Even though, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna agree with you on that one. And 12, 14, yeah. maybe you got a you know, few years, give or take there. Yeah, depending on how mature you were. Right. Some though there's some very smart 10-year-olds out there. Yeah. So... That's, I mean, that's an interesting thing about the whole with writing. We don't get a chance to push a button and the new idea comes out. Right. We can't just generate ad nauseum, um, but we have to create. So the, the ideas, and I'm, I'm a big proponent of working, putting your head down, put your hands on the keyboard and start writing. And I had this moment the other day, <clears throat> I was writing, writing on a project and I had just been doing all the writing except for the actual writing of the project, writing all these things about it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I finally, and I was sitting there going through notes and working and I was sitting in a coffee shop. I'm like, this is stupid. So I just sat down and I just wrote all the, you know, the number of issues I have and I just started putting all of the stuff in there, just straight through and all of the fear of whatever was holding back that do it was gone. Mm-hmm. And you said something earlier, which I wanted to bring back in was just the thing about drawing and the fear of that blank page, but the blankest page there is, is the blank writing page. Yeah. Because, you know, the artist, the penciler has a script. Mm-hmm. You know, the anchor has pencils, you know, mm-hmm. the, 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 the downstream effect is in play. Right. But the blankest page is that blinking cursor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, yeah. and it's a, it's interesting. You cite that when it came to the drawing, but you didn't apply it to the writing. And I'm wondering how you make the distinction or are you bifurcating that so much? 
I mean, I have that, that fear of the blank page with writing sometimes, too. Um, I, I, I think it comes down for me. I think what it comes down for me, I'm just thinking about this now. Uh, if, I, if I sit down to write something, I, I, I've got a, a track record behind me, so I can like say, Carl, you've done this before. You can do this again. Okay. Uh, sitting on the pencil, I don't have that same track record. And, and so I can't like convince myself to the same level that I can do it, put it that way. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, I, I really think that that's probably the difference because I do have the same, like with writing. Um, I always, you know, <clears throat> I usually try to have, you know, really strong openings to a book and usually I can write those very quickly, but then figuring out what comes next is always the tricky part for me. And okay. um, in fact, I, you know, finishing off the Impossible Jones book that we're doing right now, the second part, I wrote that an opening six-page six sequence, and I go, yeah, this is the opening. I know this. This is exactly how we need to open it. And next, and next, <laughs> you know, um, and that's where I am on that script right now. Uh, and I know, I know the pieces that have to come next. Uh -huh. I just don't know the best way to introduce them. That's what I'm struggling with right now. Right. The the so the ideal job for you is if the studio who makes James Bond movies hires you to write the cold opens for all the Bond. Oh yeah, I'm I'm set. Yeah, there. That, that's yeah. You know, sold. Yeah, it. I, I actually it, it, slight tangent here. I rewatched. Oh, what is this? What is the second? Uh, the Man with the Golden Gun. Okay, and the cold open of that. Bond film isn't Bond. Really? See, I don't remember this. Okay. No. It's it's Christ it's Christopher why am I blanking? You know, Sauron, Christopher oh, yeah, yeah. Dracula. Right. Yeah, him. It's him. It's his cold open. He is, you know, hunted and being hunted and and I'm I'm watching. I'm like, wait a minute. Where's the Where's the whole James Bond opening? Like, I couldn't. I couldn't. I, it, it was funny. I wonder. I really would love to find out why they abandoned this sort of standard. Interesting move. Yeah. Huh. I, I don't. I mean, this was. It was more second movie. So maybe right. they were. Hey, let's have a little fun. Yeah. I don't know. Huh, interesting. Okay, so big open, and then you're sitting there. And you have these sort of these floating elements right. and you and it's the matter of tying tying them together. Do you I mean, do you have any tricks that you have employed that you do? Because uh, I, I have a few that I do. Well, it'll be interesting yeah. to hear what your tricks are. Um, I, I know the trick that I go back to uh, time and again is 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 have the character do the exact opposite of what I thought they were going to do. Hmm. You know? Uh, and many times that has broken my log jam. You know, if, if it was a scene where a character uh, meets someone and is sad uh, about something that's happened, no, maybe he's angry. What happens if he's angry instead? What, what, does, what does that say about him? What does that say about, mm -hmm. you know, what's happening? I, a lot of times, a lot of times I, I have that happen where I go, uh, he's, he's not going to stay, he's going to leave. What happens when he leaves? instead of sticks, you know, that I do the exact opposite right. of what my initial instinct was. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times, A, that's more, uh, a surpri more surprising. It surprises me at least. And, you know, once again, it opens up doors that um, I hadn't considered. 
And uh, nine times out of 10, that can get me out of tough spots and make me feel like, oh, you really didn't know what you were doing the first time around, did you? You know, because this is obviously what you should have done. <laughs> You know, that, that's my go-to. That's where the, where I go to first. To try the exact opposite okay. of what you thought you should do. It feels very, um, it feels a lot like an actor's kind of, like when you hear actors talk about how they try to figure out like a stage acting or, you know, they, they'll, they'll try all these sort of emotional kind of takes with whatever this part that might be troubling them to find that angle that's going to kind of connect them through. And I don't think it's very different than how, what I typically do is what I will do is I will go and I will sit down and I will start writing about the character. Interesting. Not specifically about the scene, but I will write about the character and figure out elements about them. And typically that will get my subconscious kind of pulling out some material that will ultimately hook into wherever I need to kind of bring the character. Yeah. Interesting. Very good. I like that. I like that. Yeah. Well, it, cause it is, I mean, listen, it's, it's, par- it can be paralyzing, you know, I mean, you, how many, I mean, there's so many stories of the paralyzed writer, mm-hmm. you know, just fraught with fear about, you know, making the wrong choice and, and you know, the, I'll tell I'll tell you another thing that uh, that another I don't know if it's a trick, but it's it's certainly a rule. I remember it, it comes from Mark Wade again. Mark Wade said, "There's a, there's no such thing as writer's block. All it is is your subconscious telling you you took a wrong turn." Mm. So I'll, sometimes that's what I do is I go, "Okay, I don't know what happens next. It's not working. Why is it not working? It's not working not because of this scene on the page before, but really, you know, it's that scene five pages ago." That's what's not working, you know, uh, but but that does help a lot, too, is, you know, your subconscious is telling you you've taken a wrong turn. Look at the way mm-hmm. look at your map. See where you took that wrong turn. Well, that that's so that's kind of that. That prescient sense again, you know, using your you using that sort of internal barometer to kind of back up and be aware of what the, what the, what the context is. And rather than wrestling with that moment, you can kind of get a little further back and then see, Oh, you know what? This is where the, this is where the trouble point is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That helps a lot. Yeah. No, I, I like, I like that. I mean, that, that is the, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we all hit that. Do you, I'm just jumping around to another question. Sorry. (laughs) Do you find the form of writing comics guides your creating of comics? Because what I mean by that is, you know, that, that 20 to 22 page chunk that has been, you know, the model for a long time, you're doing bigger chunks. I am, yes. You know, in, in, in your pieces now. So did you feel that constraint and say, I need to make the story, you know, broader to be able to achieve what I want rather than to less serialized, I guess. I mean, you're working on impossible Jones. Yeah. I mean, I, I always am, I'm aware of uh, trying to tell the story as concisely as possible. I always don't want to waste anybody's time. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, not the artist, not the writer, not the reader. 
so so I, I would like to think that all my years working in Marvel in DC ha- has taught me how to do that and keep things, you know, because really there was there was a lot of times I wished I had another page or two at Marvel or DC. And quite honestly, those yeah. books would have been a lot better with an extra page or two. But um, <laughs> but that has my you know, has honed my craft as far as uh, how concise I can uh, keep things. Um, mm-hmm. But I I am lucky when I do Impossible Jones that I can say this this story really needs to be twenty eight pages long, and uh, you know, and I can feel pretty justified that yeah, it's a twenty eight page story, you know. Um, and, and I love having that sort of, uh, flexibility. I love it. Um, so, and yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's always the kind of the, there is no begging or pleading, which is going to change the length of the book in the, you know, in the publisher's eye. Like it is, it is what it is. I would tell, I, I would say one time, uh, I wrote, uh, they, they'd asked me to write a fantastic four annual. It came out like in 99 or something like that. And I, I really, I like wrote the whole annual and they told me I had 40 pages and I wrote the annual and it was 41 pages. And I mean, this was a full script. This was a full script. Right. And I, I looked at it and I could not figure out how to chop out a page. And you know, the editor said, send it to me. I'm very good at chopping out pages. And they sent it to him and he goes, I just got 41 pages approved. So, so he actually got wow. me an extra page. They, they, whoever was looking at it up there said, there's no page to get rid of. And they liked it enough that they, they gave it us they gave us an extra page. That's a testament to everyone in that food in that food chain. Yeah, you know, like I mean, a testament to you, even though you made the mistake, um, is that you wrote this incredibly well connected story. That you know, it, it's a it's like the design adage. Like if it doesn't serve the function, right, the core right, function right. of what the design is, get rid of it. Yeah. And like in writing, it's the same thing. Yeah. Hmm. Like when you're, when you're putting your scripts together, like how many passes do you, you do before you share it? I I, have as many passes until I feel comfortable, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. um, there are times uh, that I'll give something to David before I'm a hundred percent comfortable because I trust David and I'll go, David, there's something about this scene here not working. Is it me, oh. or do you see something, or do you agree? You know that sort of thing. I, I, I will, I will, um, you know, I, I, I will do that with David. Um, but, uh, but you know, but generally, you know, I can't say that. You know, sometimes, you know, as you know, I, I'll, I write a scene and I go, "That's it. I, I, I nailed that one." And then mm-hmm. another time, I, you know, I'll be working on page twenty-three and page four. It's just bothering me, and I'll go back and niggle on page four and go back and niggle on, you know, change a few words. Now these two panels, I could make that. Yeah. That would be better if it was one. I mean, there's times I do that right. too. I can't really say that there's a set number of times I go over a, a script. Um, okay. You know, so I know, that, yeah, I know there's a, a sequence in one of the impossible Jones books. that still bothers me. And, and when we do the collection, I'm going to change that page. I'm going to change that page. Really? In the collection. Yes. Cause it really bothers me. Dialogue wise. Uh, it's it's really what's it's what's happening in the whole scene. I'll probably I will probably end up adding two more pages to that scene when we do the collection. Okay, See, but I, I can that. do that. I can do that. Yeah, you're like you're the George Lucas of your own comic. I know. Book yeah, I can, well, you know, I mean, many years ago, you know, uh, uh, Tom and I, uh, Tom Grumman and I, started to do section zero through image, right? 
And we did three issues of Century Zero mm-hmm. and then couldn't afford to keep doing it. And then 18 years later, we kickstarted the book and finished it. And I went in and I re-dialogued those for three issues. If you compare the image <laughs> comics, if you compare the image comics with the book we kickstarted, I completely re-dialogued. And, more, and, mm-hmm. and part of that was because Richard Starkings, who we've talked about before, Richard Starkings, who had lettered the image comic, when I told him that we were going to kickstart it and try to finish it off, Richard pulled out the, well, first of all, Richard, thank God, he had the color files. I didn't have them anymore. Richard oh had God. all those files. He found them in his garage on like an old floppy disk. On the jazz drive. Yes, I know, really. You know, so, but he got me the colors and he was looking at his letters and he said, you know, Carla, I think I'm going to refresh the lettering to this. And so Richard <laughs> re-lettered the whole thing too. So oh my God. if you compare that Section Zero image comic from way back, because then... You know, thanks to Jim Valentino, once we did the Kickstarter, he reissued and then finished off the Section Zero thing recently. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, those, I guess you would call those first, I, I consider it like how um, Charles Dickens kept rewriting The Christmas Carol. That, that's what I consider, right. you know. So yeah. if, I, if I get a chance to maybe make it a little better or at least a little more satisfying to me, I, I do. I do. I, I admit that. It's, the, you know, it's a funny adage, like, you'll just keep doing it and working on it and working on it and working on it until someone takes it away from you. Yeah. Like, it's just that kind of thing. But I don't, like, I think that instinct is, I don't, I, I mean, it's in everyone. I mean, we just watched that, um, that show, uh, that little, I guess, a David Letterman mini documentary with uh, Bono and the Air. Oh, I've heard about that. I have not seen it. Yeah. On Apple Plus. It, you know, it, it's in conjunction with their new their new album, and I my wife bought me the album the book Surrender sitting mm-hmm. there on the shelf, and I've been I haven't read it, read it yet. Sorry, oh, sorry, <laughs> honey. Um, and the it's all their old songs. It's all the songs from their first album up to like their most recent album. It's a four album, you know, set right of all these reimaginings of all their songs. Wow. Okay. Of, 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 of these, you know, however many, let's just say it's 40 songs. Um, and I didn't recognize it until I'm watching this documentary and they're, they're just playing all these, you know, these kind of classic hits, but kind of newish versions. And I'm like, Oh, it's them too. Like they can't even like let it go. Like, you know, we all, if given the opportunity, will put our sticky little fingers in that pot and start messing around. Yeah. 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 Well, I think even Springsteen has said, he looks at his early stuff and says, you know, the songs are pretty good. It's, it's some of the musicality of it that could be better. And, you know, sure. Yeah, sure. So, okay. Your own work. Mm -hmm. That's, that wasn't commonplace. It was something that, the Mavericks and Rebels did, you know, in the eighties and the in the nineties. Like there's these gunslingers out there doing their own thing versus the, you know, the people trying to you know fight for a space on you know Comic Book Island at Marvel or DC. Yeah. But like, when did you like? What did you like? Did you have an aha light bulb moment go off on you to say like, hey, dude, make your own thing? Well, yes and no. I mean, Tom and I. Grumman and I had always wanted to go back to Section Zero. We obviously, around 2000, did Section Zero, three issues of it, 
finances meant we couldn't keep doing it. I just simply could not keep doing a book that was not paying my bills. Neither could Tom. Right. And there was a point at one point where uh, we tried to do Section Zero as a uh, web comic. You know, just do a page a week, a page a week. And then at the end of the year, you got 52 pages. And even that was impossible for us to squeeze in. We tried. We really tried. And I think we did six, six new pages, maybe 12. Um, but once again, that question of how do we produce this stuff that we love and still pay our bills? That was always. Mm -hmm. And then Kickstarter came along, you know, and I, I heard rumors about Kickstarter for quite a while, but it's, you know, that's a, a big jump. That's a big leap. It's very scary. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, so, so I'm saying on one hand, the idea of doing creator owned of something that was ours, that was mine, uh, was always there. The opportunity for it was not showing up. And so the opportunity I was getting was working for Marvel and DC and maybe IDW. And, um, but I will say, Sad but true is as you get older, those opportunities shrink. And there mm -hmm. came a point where I'm going, I cannot rely on my next paycheck coming from Marvel or DC or image or wherever. I just can't. And uh, so while the desire to do creator owned was always there, I, I will admit I was backed into a corner and I said, I've got to take this Kickstarter jump. I've got to, because otherwise I'm going to go work at Burger King. Mm -hmm. You know, and that put, and, and it was, you know, it was scary and it's still scary because I'm running a Kickstarter now. And believe me, I, I need to really raise a bit more money before I feel comfortable about paying my bills for the next five, six months. I mean, right. my goal was 20,000, but that really kind of just pays some very basic costs. That really does not sure. pay my bills for the next five months. It does not pay David Hahn's uh, page rate for the next five months. Um, it's 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 a it's a it gives you a good strong start is what it does and mm -hmm. and uh, but I still have a ways to go before uh, things can wrap and I can say yes I I'm going to be able to pay my bills for the duration of time it takes us to get this comic out there so it's still scary yeah um, but the rewards are so much greater at least for me right now uh, than working for Marvel or DC. Yeah, I mean, like you know, going back to the toy analogy, like. It is great fun getting to play with somebody else's toys. Mm -hmm. Like it is really a, an absolute blast. That 12 year old within us is just buzzing with electricity. Mm -hmm. But I think even if you go back to the, the six year old in us, the one who is just free associating with everything, yeah. that's the one who is making everything. Right. And you know, that imagination is so explosive and so vivid mm -hmm. that I think that when we make our own thing, then we're really tapping into a much, you know, earlier version and a much more pure version of ourselves. Yeah. Well, you know, I have a 10 year old son uh, and uh, he loves Legos and we get, you know, we get those not massive, but pretty big Lego sets for like uh, crafts out of the Black Panther movie and stuff like that, like mm -hmm. six, seven hundred pieces, whatever. And he will put that together once and it'll look right. like, wow, that is a really impressive craft, really impressive spaceship, whatever you want to say. And then he takes it apart and then he starts making his own stuff. And this kid mm -hmm. has got an amazing three sense of three-dimensionality to him. And he puts together these, um, you know, amazing, you know, 
crafts of his own d design or buildings. He'll create buildings. And, you know, I, I, I just really admire how, you know, he plays in the toy box, like you were saying, but then he takes that toy and reassembles it in a totally unrecognizable way that is uh, really mind boggling to me. Mind boggling. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about, I've, it's funny, you maybe reframe my view on the modern model of Lego. <laughs> I, because I grew, you know, grew up playing with them, loved them to death. They were really my, you know, top three toy favorites. Yeah. But I, you know, years have gone by and you see all these sets, these very complicated yeah. sets, but like they were like, this is what you build. Yeah. And I thought like there was such a limitation you know, in the, in the creativity of this, because like maybe someone puts it together with a sense of accomplishment and never touches it again. Right. But what I heard is people, it's the remember model kits when, when oh, yeah. we were young. Yeah. So it's the combination of a model kit and Lego. So you're capable of making the model. Right. But then you can scratch build from that point exactly, on. Exactly. Yeah. To whatever you want to do. Yeah, you, you know, when I was a, when I was a kid, uh, an aunt of mine gave me a model kit of a, like a it was like a Dodge pickup truck with a, a camper back end on it. That was the model kit she gave mm -hmm. me, and and I I built a different model out of it. I cut pieces, <laughs> but it, my aunt was really angry at me <laughs> because I didn't really? build I didn't build the model she bought me. I I love it on so many levels because of the, I love the fact that like she wasn't able to see the, the what really the magic that happened um i love what you did there's like so many kind of like cool little elements within that oh i love that that's so cool yeah but but my son, my son does rebuild the model and does an amazing job of it yeah yeah you know it's a springboard but you know a really interesting springboard that people can kind of grow on yeah all right, so let's talk about Impossible Jones. Let's talk about the campaign. Let's okay. let's 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 focus on that for now. And uh, oh, is is it Mr. Kickstarter? No, it is not Mr. Kickstarter. So, but anyways, Impossible Jones. Um, we're kickstarting uh, the, the recent, the most recent comic. It's the the fourth of four team up stories we were doing, and um, so so we did a graphic novel. And then we decided to do four smaller. The idea was to do smaller stories that were a little more self-contained that gave us a chance to explore Impossible Jones, the character and the world she mm -hmm. was in this because she lives in, you know, a fictitious city called New Hope City. And, it, you know, I really like the idea of expanding and exploring that space, you know, and, and really, I think, grounding the character more since it is a made up city. It's not like people can look up online what new, new hope city is about and uh what what, what happened and ending up is, is is often happens is the story took on a life of its own and what was supposed to be four small self-contained stories has become a four issue arc which is all interconnected and uh ends on this you know big grand finale note and that's the issue we're doing now um and uh I don't know. That's what we're kickstarting. It's, it's you know, it, it, this issue specifically uh, is supposed to feature, well, it features Impossible Jones teaming up. They're all teaming up with a character called American Angel. An angel is mm -hmm. period, end period, 
G period, E period, L period. And uh, she's kind of a Captain America, Iron Man, Joan of Arc character. Uh, the, the Joan of Arc aspect, she's not a religious character. I just really like the idea of this, you know, this religious halo glow around her head. I got really hung up mm-hmm. on that. I, and I, I think it's a really strong image. And, and as I say uh, in some of my uh, promo pieces, she's an angel, not a saint. So, and right on. But it's but it's a big enough story that it also brings in some of the other team up characters that she that Impossible Jones has been with Captain Lightning and Polecat, both of whom I created in second grade, by the way. And oh no way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was filling out the the world of Cap of, of Impossible Jones, I knew I wanted just a very few superheroes who populate. I didn't want it, you know Manhattan or something with a million heroes. I didn't even want it Gotham with because Gotham's got a lot of heroes. I just wanted like three yeah. or four heroes that kind of police this place. And I dusted off characters from second grade. Polecat, who's very much a daredevil sort of character. Um, mm. And when I created him, I did not know. I, I mean, I remember very specifically, you know, because, oh, there's Black Panther and there's Tiger this and, and all the, you know, Lion. There's all these great cat names they have been taken. No one's taken Polecat. I'll do Polecat. And the reason no one took Polecat is it's slang for skunk. <laughs> so that's why you don't see Marvel or DC doing a polecat comic. Right. And um, I didn't realize that at the time, of course. And I just thought he's a, he dresses like a cat and he's got a pole for a weapon there. We're all, yeah. that, you know, um, but, uh, but I, I, when I dusted him off for impossible Jones, I thought oh, he's a, he's a city boy. He didn't know it either. He named himself polecat mm-hmm. for the same reason. I'm good with a pole polecat. And now he's stuck with yep. the name. He, he learned about the <laughs> slang too late. He's a city. Right. He can't rebrand. Now can't rebrand now. But uh, but as I always say about Polecat is his only real. You know he's he's a daredevil character. He's a, he's a uh, advanced gymnast sort of character. Um, but he, he if he if you want to say he has a superpower, his one superpower is everybody likes him. He's really likable, mm. and um, more than that, he knows like half the city by their first name. He yeah. knows these people. He knows who they're married to. He knows who their pets are. He is connected to the city on a very, very basic level. The people in the city are his life. And mm-hmm. anyways, I created him in second grade. And Captain Lightning I did too, just because I like lightning powers. So Sure. But um, but anyways, so we bring both of those back for the grand finale. And there's another character called Holly Days. She was in the first team-up book. She's actually a thief who, Impossible Jones be friends and impossible jones in if people don't know the basic idea is she is a thief she gets superpowers and is mistaken for a superhero and decides to run with it because now she can you know the cops aren't shooting at her for one so that's right second of all if she goes into a jewelry store they're glad they're glad to show her their security system they are happy to share that information with her um, right. You know, there's there's just a lot of pluses to be considered a good guy, even though she is not has not given up her uh, her thieving ways. So, anyway, she has struck up a friendship with with Holly Days, who is a a holiday theme, themed thief. And um, mm-hmm. and anyways, Holly comes into this story too. And um, it's it's a big finale. Everyone gets on stage. They fight a big bad who is planted along the way, and uh, it's. You know, it should be a very uh, satisfying conclusion to our four-issue arc. 
And along the way, we've got to establish a lot about the city. We, we have a, a coffee shop that the cops and a few superheroes hang out at. Um, you know, we've established the, uh, the art museum in the, in the city. We've established uh, the parks some of the parks the bodega what the bodega thank you yeah yeah you know so i mean i really enjoy that we've we've kind of given her world a little more of a foundation that, that's very important mm-hmm. it definitely felt like like yeah. it felt like in the sense of a city like you were talking earlier about the not super superhero characters you know the 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 street level characters who can go into the shop with their outfits on and still enjoy a meal rather than, yeah, you know, stop traffic. Yeah. Yeah. So you are doing well. I mean, the campaign is going well. It is not, it is not a, it is not, you know, in dire uh, straits. So. No, we, 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 we've reached our funding goal, which means, you know, uh, the people are going to get their books. You know, I would like to raise some more money. I would like to raise more money um, so that not just, because I'm greedy, but because I actually do need to raise a little more money to pay my bills. Um, but, you know, you know, the, so we still have a ways to go and I'd like to, you know, we are adding in things to the book to make it worth people's time to support the book. Uh, one of the characters that has proven very popular in impossible Jones world is a character called even Steven and even mm-hmm. Steven, uh, exactly equals the power of anyone he's fighting up fighting going up against because Stephen believes in his heart of heart in, in the core of his being that good will all, always triumph over evil in a fair fight it has to be a fair mm. fight and um and he's got, kind of got that ditko mr a vibe going on because he wears a suit because i mean i just thought if someone's calling himself Stephen, he's not wearing spandex there's there's no character who wears spandex <laughs> who calls himself Stephen. So, um, but anyways, he's very popular. So one of the uh, recurring stretch goals that we do is we add in a little six page solo stories featuring him. And um, the, this time around the first one, uh, which already got, uh, we already unlocked that stretch goal. It's a six page story that David Hahn will draw and Lee Allred will write. Lee is uh, Mike Allred's brother. And I got yeah. to know Lee. I got to know Lee when I was dialoguing, uh, while I was writing Fantastic Four after Matt Fraction couldn't finish off his run. Uh, and Lee stepped in to finish Matt Fraction's run on the FF book, which his brother Mike was already drawing. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and so Lee and I got to know each other, uh, and I very quickly came to respect him uh, deeply as a writer. And he can juggle so many elements and make it look effortless effortless and not only that he's just got this this explosive imagination that uh that floors me and Mm. i actually i just really wanted some of that kind of zaniness into one of the even steven stories so so i asked him if he would write one and and he and he agreed and i'm very excited about that and then um the second even steven story we're actually it's the stretch goal we're working on right now that one I will write because I have not written. I wrote one of these backup stories, but uh, but this one would be penciled by Steve Lieber. Steve uh, has agreed to pencil this even Steve yes. six page. Okay. So I'm really looking forward to that wow. because Steve is just first of all he's a great guy. Um, lives about four blocks from my house, and um, <laughs> I mean let's face it, he's just an amazing penciler, an amazing he amazing is. penciler. So he's fantastic. I mean, I mean it, at this point, it feels like you cannot 
swing a polecat by its tail and hit a comma creator in your town. Oh, it Portland, is uh, yeah. Portland's got so many and so many great talents too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. At least you know where you can go get the pages. <laughs> yeah, I know where he lives. That's right. Yeah. But we yeah we still have a little ways to go. I mean, this is did I read this was going to go up on the fourth? Is that what I heard? I th- well, I you finish when are you finishing up on the on the campaign? I it's either the thirteenth or fourteenth of April. So yeah, so yeah, so you will be this will be week the week before right. You've so we still up, have so. some time, and I I would I'm yeah. sure even at this point, um, when people hear this, I I, I would like to think we're only about a thousand dollars away from finishing Steve's you know unlocking Steve's six page story, but beyond that, I will say that we have a uh, a special another special alternate cover that has been agreed mm-hmm. to that I will be uh, maybe by the time people watch this, they will, they will have learned about it. Um, oh, awesome. But you know, at, at this point we uh, you know, we do have an Adam Hughes alternate cover. We have a Terry Moore alternate cover for this book. Uh, we will soon, yep. soon have a third uh, alternate cover that, by a special artist. Um, we're giving out uh you know, a lot of little sw- uh, special swag when people get the book. They don't just get the book, but they get some uh, some beautiful little uh, chibi stickers that are penciled by Jean Carlo Bernal, who is a Filipino artist who is amazing. He's just an amazing artist. And he has been kind enough to contribute these chibi sticker drawings for all of the team-up books. And um, we have some great pinups that we've put into the book. Uh, one by uh, John K. Snyder III, who I, you know, old, old pal of mine from yeah. Suicide Squad days. Um, I, I believe Nicolege is how you say his name, Nicolege Villager. He's a okay. Canadian, but he draws in, he, he draws in a um, kind of Toth Romita sort of style. And he did kind of this cool uh, retro modern pinup of Impossible Jones that's going to be in the book. Anyways, I'm trying to say is we got time still before the end of the campaign. And we're going to keep adding stuff to this campaign. There's the possibility. I'm toying with the idea of adding t-shirts. I'm toying with the idea. Ooh. Okay. We have an old, um, not old, but in, in the, in the possible Jones graphic novel, Elsa Chartier did a pinup of, of impossible Jones and it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. And it would look so good. It's so good on a t-shirt. I'm like this close, this close to deciding to do t-shirts. It looks so good. It, it is hard to, to, you know, to refuse the swag monsters call. Yeah. So, but anyway, so there's, there's a lot of good reasons. Uh, and of course I think the main reason to support the book is because David and I are really trying to produce a really entertaining, really fun uh, book that you want to read, you know, that you want, this is a world we want you to like and come back to and care for the characters in. And, and hopefully we're accomplishing that. That's all I can say. Hopefully. The penultimate issue was great i didn't feel lost i felt right involved with the whole thing throughout the whole story and it does the job where you go okay so what's happening next good that's that's one on the last page you want him to say what happens next yes so that was so job done okay great thank you well carl i'm not going to hang hang you up too much i know you have to call mr uh kickstarter back and um and negotiate for a better a better vig um <laughs> but uh it was an absolute pleasure i i promise if you come back out to the heroes this year i will walk up and say hi okay. i will not are you are you I like in, not, where are you where are you i live in Asheville, so i live in i live in the the cool little mountain town 
an hour and 45 minutes away from. Uh, see, it's the, actually uh, just after 4th of July, we will be in Raleigh because my sister lives in Raleigh. Oh, wow. So, so and I've, I've actually arranged a store appearance there. I forget the name, Galaxy Comics, something like that. Uh, anyway, but I won't be at Heroes this year. I, I, I just, I did it last year and I just thought I'd change it up a little this year. But next year, next year, 2023, is this 2023? 2024, I will be, 2024, I'll be at Heroes. Okay, so be, so look me up. Yeah, thanks. Um, all this info will be in the description so people will be able to click on a hot hyperlink and hot link, what the hell am I saying? Hyperlink. <laughs> And uh, get straight to get straight to the Kickstarter, and uh, you know, it's I, I have to say it's easy to get to to Kickstarter. It's just impossiblekickstarter.com. That's it. It'll take you right there. Which is that's brilliant. <laughs> that was a great. I don't. Did you come up with that idea? I don't know if I came up with the idea, but you know, I, I grabbed the URL. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. I mean, like, I I don't see people doing their own custom URL that much for these. I, I know I do it. I know Ron Randall does it for Trekker. He has trekkerkickstarter.com. But okay. uh, but I me, love it. That that's a no brainer. Yeah, yeah. It's a real inexpensive way to, uh, you know, make it happen. Yeah. So once again, thanks. Well, thank this you. Is, this is an absolute pleasure. Yeah, absolute right. pleasure. All right, and, you got to get back. You have a writing deadline, don't you? <laughs> thanks. It's been a great time talking to you, Alex. All right. See you, Carl. Bye bye.